Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. On this episode, I interview Karen Eamon, the author of Hoodwinked, 10 Myths Moms Believe and Why We All Need to Knock It Off, about why moms should build bridges, not fences, why we shouldn't feel compelled to do it all, and why we shouldn't feel like a bad mom just because our child makes a bad choice. I think the most important reason to build bridges and not fences is because our kids are watching us. They're watching us and they're learning from us about kindness and tolerance and loving people who think differently than you. Hi, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Karen, thank you so much for being here today and making time to be on the podcast with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for asking me. Yes, absolutely. So let me catch up um, everyone who's listening right now of how I found you and why I wanted to talk to you. You are the co-author of two of my favorite books, honestly, right now. Um, one of them is a journal I've had for years that I continually go back to. It's called Pressing Pause, 100 Quiet Moments for Moms to Meet with Jesus. And I just absolutely love uh, the little anecdotes and stories that you have um, for each of the lessons. And then there's prompting questions that really make you think and really also make you take action as a mom on, you know, how to live, live your life, um, priority-based, values-based, things like that. And then my Bible study and I um, just finished your book, Hoodwinked, 10 Myths Moms Believe and Why We All Need to Knock It Off. And we did the whole study guide that goes along with it and whatnot. And I just was, as a mom myself, really moved by what you had written in those books. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is just some of the information that's in there. But um, I highly recommend the journal. So whoever is listening out there, you know, go get hoodwinked, but also go get pressing pause too, because um, they're, they're both amazing. So um, share with me, Karen, what are some of the common myths of motherhood that you dispel in your book, Hoodwinked? Well, the book includes 10 of them, but I'm just going to hit like three or four that I think are the ones I've dealt with the most in my life and the ones that I see other moms dealing with. And the first one is this myth that I can do it all, all at once. We think that we can do it all. Yeah, <laughs> we do. We yeah. do, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Work, volunteer, raise our kids, you know, grind our own wheat, whatever it is, you know, make our own sourdough <laughs> bread. And that's really a myth. You can't do it all, all at once. There are seasons to motherhood and we have to learn that, that maybe by the time we get to middle age and our kids fly the coop, we've done it all, but we didn't do it all, all at once. That's a, a big one that I see moms get hung up on. 
They get frustrated if, you know, their friend is grinding their own wheat, making their own sourdough bread, and they're, you know, grabbing a loaf off the grocery shelf and they feel guilty and they beat themselves up about it. But we all live different lives. We all have 24 hours in a day, but we all have different things we need to get done in those 24 hours. So you need to key in. And I think we're going to talk about this in, in a little bit on what your priorities are and not be looking at other people. So that's one. I can do it all, all at once. Another one. I was trapped in this one for a long time. And then I was the victim of it from other moms for a while too. And that's the myth that the way I do it, the way I mother is the right and only way. Yes. And we get caught up in that too, that, oh my goodness, especially when you're a first time mom. Of course. And you're around other first time moms and we're all just trying to figure it out. And my goodness, I have seen friendships torn to pieces because one mom breastfed and one mom bottle fed and, you know, neither of them could give the other one an inch. Or the big one I saw a lot was co-sleeping or having your child sleep in a crib. And, you know, yeah. we had three kids and two of them slept with us and one of them didn't. And they're all uh, upstanding citizens and adults. Right. And, <laughs> and for me, I kind of got to the point where I'm like, it doesn't matter who's sleeping where, it's who's sleeping. Like, do it for you, you know? <laughs> that is the bigger question. <laughs> Another one I saw a lot when I was a first-time mom, not as much for my second, was, and we're not going to get into this necessarily, but there was a huge debate about being vaccinated or not vaccinated. And I even had friends pull apart because they didn't believe in the same thing I believed. And, you know, it's, there's so many things out there that I never realized as a mom that would pull other moms apart instead of bringing them together because of these things on, you know, if yeah. it was better or not. And, you know, they're just different. Yeah. And I had to, to learn to tell myself there are a lot of ways to get to four. Two plus two is four. Three plus one is four. <laughs> six minus yes. two is four, you know, but we're all going to get to four. We're all going to, we're all Absolutely. at the goal of raising upstanding citizens that love the Lord and, you know, can hold down a job. And there's a lot of ways to get there. So that was, that was another one. Here's one I dealt with, but not until like my last two kids were teenagers. And that is the myth that my child's bad choice means I'm a bad mom. Oh yes. That one hit hard. I definitely want to hit on that one a little bit later on. Cause that one hit hard for me for sure. Yeah. And some people deal with this when their kids are little, like if their child's throwing a temper tantrum in the entryway at church or in the grocery store, whatever they, they feel like they're a bad mom. I did okay during those younger years. It was when they were older and I felt like, you know, all the neighbors or all the, the church ladies or whoever were <laughs> right. looking at my kid. And if my kid did something that was wrong at school or wrong with the law, which a couple of them did one time. <laughs> I don't know. I, I used to tease that my next book was going to be on teenage boys and I was going to call it the stupid years. But anyhow, <laughs> right. it's true. We think, that, you know, if our child makes a bad choice, especially when they're, you know, 16, 17, that somehow it means that we're a bad mom. No. Did you, unless you told your child, hey, go out and do that thing that's illegal. It's right. not <laughs> You know, if you taught them right from wrong <clears throat> and they made a bad choice, that choice is on them. You need to be there to help them pick up the pieces, to, you know, refrain from saying, I told you so, and, and just be there to love and support them unconditionally, but help them deal with the consequences and realize that it doesn't reflect on you. Your child's bad choice does not mean that you're a bad mom. You're a mom who taught your child right from wrong. And guess what? Today they chose wrong. But that's all <laughs> right. And, and I'll tell you why real quick before we move on, because I don't know if we're going to get to it later, of uh, why I struggled that with that so much during the Bible study. And it was because 
I am, you know, a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I specialize in working with small children. Um, you know, I, I, I have a doctorate education about it. So, you know, as, as other moms know what I do and my kindergartner made some, you know, interesting behavior choices in school this year. And I just felt the the parents' eyes, just the other moms just staring me down, like, you know, because they know what I do. And I'm someone who helps other kids with behavior. Yet my own child was acting out behaviorally in a way that I was thinking, oh my gosh, not only as a mom did I think that that was reflecting me as a mom, but also as my profession, my therapy, because this is what I do for other kids, yet my own child isn't behaving very well. And it, it, hit, it hit pretty hard a few times where I felt really... I guess, embarrassed, ashamed, disappointed, you know, all those feelings came to me and it, it took me a while to get out of it, you know, um, and saying that I do the best I can and he's still going to act the way he acts for whatever reason. But, you know, it doesn't make me, like you said, a bad mom or even a bad therapist, right? Right. Exactly. But you're right. You kind of feel like all eyes are on you. Yep. You know, so you've got, you, everybody's got to toe the line. I feel yep. that often. Um, and then the the last one I'll hit just quickly the myth is this, and I think more full-time moms who don't work outside the home struggle with this, but it's the myth that I am just a mom. Right. And I hear people say that when they'll say, oh, what do you do? I'm just a mom. Well, no, that's a pretty important role Absolutely. that you play. And if you're doing it full-time and right now you're not working outside the house, it doesn't mean that you're less than. It means you're choosing to focus if you can, you don't need the financial benefits of working outside the home. You're choosing to focus your energy and your time on raising your own child. You know, and it makes me just so puzzled why we can look at, say, a teacher who teaches preschool and has 20 kids and is pouring her life into those 20 kids full time and think that is a worthy cause. But when you're doing it to your preschooler <laughs> by yourself, it's not like, how can it be a worthy cause for that person, but not for you? So if you're in a season where you can't work outside the home right now, or you've lost a job or, you know, whatever, don't ever think I am just a mom. That's just as important as a mom who works. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad you hit on that one too, because um, I, I definitely hear that a lot from from other moms. You know, because I have I have little ones still, and a lot of them do stay at home. And you hear them say that sometimes, or it's just an awkward conversation sometimes. You know, when when you're asking, "Oh, do you work? Do you not work?" And still, that goes back to your first point of almost you know feeling who's the better mom, the one that's working and is you know right. I don't know helping you know um, bring income into the home, or is it the mom that's you know, sweating her palms because she's doing a hundred things at home for the family because she stays at home, but she's still working just as hard. You know, they're just different roles, but they yeah, are. that definitely comes up too sometimes of, um, you know, comparing yourself, right? Comparing yourself to other moms and maybe not feeling, feeling inferior or, or not, you know, because of whatever role that you have. And, and like you said, yeah. there's seasons, there's seasons I have stayed at home and have fully stayed at home. There's seasons I've worked full time outside the home and there's other times I've worked part time outside the home. And now I'm working part time to full time, depending on the day it feels like inside the home, you know? So I've had different roles and I have filled, feel, felt fulfilled in, in all those roles are just very different. Yeah. And it can get awkward when <clears throat> people ask you, oh, do you work? And yes. I so I learned when my kids were really, really little and I was a full-time mom. I mean, and we were living on a budget so tight it squeaked. If if our kids had been in public school, they would have gotten free lunch. It wasn't like we were living on one income because my husband made so much money. He didn't. 
But I learned to say when people would say, oh, so do you work? I would say, oh, honey, all day long. Like the only time, <laughs> the only time my fanny hits the sofa is to nurse the baby. Yeah, I work. Do, and do that mean, still work. <laughs> oh, you mean, do I get a paycheck? If that's what you mean, no, I don't get a paycheck. I do it for free. <laughs> that's what I would say. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. And, and like I said, when you're sitting on that couch breastfeeding your baby or feeding your baby for, you know, in any way, shape or form, that's still work, right? I mean, you're not just sitting on the couch, you know, relaxing and, you know, getting your, getting a spa treatment. Like you're, you're working still and you're working throughout the night in the middle of the night when you're feeding your child and, and whatnot. So, yes. um, you know, let's go a little bit back to, you know, trying to do it all. I love what you say in your book, ask yourself, am I called instead of am I capable? Um, so how how should we or how are we going to know if we're called versus am I capable? How can we discern that? And how should we prioritize our values, our goals, our purpose and our time? What are your suggestions that you that you write about in your book? Yeah, I call this the curse of capability that so many people just think, oh, you know, she's a mom, especially if you're a mom that's not working full time, maybe you're only working part time or you have a, a side hustle that you do in, in your home or you're, you're a full time mom. They think you just have all this time on your hands <laughs> and that uh, that you can you know, do all of these things. And I call it the curse of capability. We moms are so capable of doing so many things and people know that about us. And so they tend to ask us to do a lot of things. And instead of us really saying, you know, I need to Take 24 hours to pray about it. Talk to my husband about it if you have one and really think, is this my call? You know, and if we don't do that, we just find yes, rolling off our lips because we want to have that person like us. We don't want to disappoint him, whatever. And then we get overburdened. But I remember a mentor of mine saying to me once when she saw me as a young mom taking on so many responsibilities. I mean, there was no room left on my plate. It was so full. And I thought every time somebody asked me to do something that I was just so clever that if I rearranged everything on the plate, somehow I could make it fit, you know, and that, yeah. I didn't actually like a little like, take, game, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't actually think about removing anything from my plate to take on the new responsibility, but she said to me this and I'll never forget it. She said, you know, Karen, every need is not necessarily your call. Somebody's called to do that need, but it doesn't necessarily have to be you. So make sure you're filling your time with the things you're called to. And so for me, I feel like part of it is, and I know it's going to sound like a, a cheesy Christian answer, but part of it is praying. Part of it is really being in line with the Lord and knowing when it's him tapping you on the heart saying, hey, this is for you to do. And when it's not, and when your answer is truly, I'm doing this because I feel the Lord's calling me to, or I'm doing this because this is a new person in my life and I really want them to like me. You know, we have to really question. Yeah, that people motives. pleasing comes in real hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I actually just wrote a whole book about that, about people pleasing. Oh, good. I'll have you back. I need to read that one. That's, that's one I need. I struggle with a lot. But I, I really tell people to pre-decide, like sit down with a paper and pencil, a journal, whatever, get a, get a loan by yourself at a park, a coffee house, whatever. And then write out what you would say if someone asked you, what are your top five, top 10, let's say, you know, some place between five and 10, what are your top priorities? List them out in order, then watch yourself for the next three weeks and see if how you spend your time lines up with what you say your priorities are. The first time I did this, I was shocked, Kim. I, I was shocked because, you know, I listed out like God is number one, my spouse is number two, and then my kids, blah, 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 on and on. Well, other kind of fringe friends 
like from church and stuff, they were like a number seven or a number eight. But I was constantly letting those people kind of trump the time that I was spending with my kids. My kids were all younger at the time. Um, cell phones were around, but they weren't really big. So I wasn't texting people. It was actually like people calling me on the phone when I was supposed to be given a spelling test or I was supposed to be doing this. I had three different friends going through divorces and they would call me all times of the day and the night and I would take the phone call. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm letting a priority that's a little further down the line trump one that's not. Now, that's not to say that if my friend truly is experiencing something horrible and she needs me to help her process something like that, okay, my kid's spelling test can wait. But I'm just saying that like consistently, I was saying my husband and my kids were my top priority, but I was spending a lot more time trying to impress the church ladies, the friends, the neighbors, whoever. So I think it's really helpful to to give a little self-assessment and see if what you say your priorities are really lines up with how you're spending your time. Right. And and I struggle with that a lot. And I've actually had people say to me, you can say no if you want, you know, and and then it hits you like, oh, I'm the, I'm the yes lady. Like people come to me because I'm, I'm going to squeeze it in. I'm going to fit it in. If there's that hour time in my calendar, that's not free. I'm going to fill it in because either I need to fulfill that need for something, which is obviously something deeper in a different conversation, or it's because I'm taking on too much, like where you don't even have any downtime and then you get burnt out. And again, that's a whole nother mm-hmm. thing. But um, but I remember I'm a room mom for both my kids' classrooms. And I remember um, one of them uses me and needs me a lot more because it's for the younger kids. But she constantly asks me to do all these things. And, and, and she did. She turned to me one time and she said, you know, you can say no if you want you know, cause I'm trying to please her. It's my child's teacher and I want her to like me. I want her to like my kid, you know? Um, and, and I said, Oh, I can. Okay. Well then no, I don't want to do it. You know? And we assigned it or delegated it to someone else. And so I've, as I've gotten older, I've learned how to say no more. I've learned how to delegate more and I've learned how to ask for help more, but it is a skill that is is like you have to practice it and it's hard. And I think you do need a certain sense of maturity and discernment to be able to do that. I, I couldn't do that in my younger years as I can mm-hmm. do as much now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you've got to get willing to d- disappoint people and to realize that if that makes them dump you as a friend, they probably weren't your friend in the first place. Absolutely. Because a true friend's going to understand when you're, you're kind of stressed to the max and you can't add th- something to your schedule right then. Right. And <clears throat> I used to almost get offended being the friend. And I would ask for something thinking they're going to say yes, because I'm their friend. And then they would say no. And they would say, you know what, I just have a lot on my plate this week. So maybe just hit me up in a couple weeks. And mm-hmm. at first, I'd be offended by that. I'd think, oh, well, they're mad at me, or maybe they don't like me. Or why wouldn't they make time for me? What's wrong with them? You know, and I'd almost blame them for it. But now I have such respect for that. I have such respect for boundaries that I didn't have when I was younger, too. And again, that took some of that mis- maturity to kind of figure it out and and not take it, you know, personally, it's, you know, they were setting a boundary and, you know, respecting that. And it's really even helped our friendship, to be honest. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to set boundaries. We're going to take a quick break and then come right back um, to talk a little bit more about how to press the pause button and how to encourage moms to build bridges and not fences. We'll be right back. 
Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. Karen, in your book, you encourage moms to build bridges and not fences. We talked a little bit about this earlier on. Why is it more important for moms to connect with others instead of compete or judge? There is so much out there that, um, you know, that the, the pressure, especially now with social media and things like that. How can we stop this cycle? What is your advice? I think the most important reason to build bridges and not fences is because our kids are watching us. They're watching us and they're learning from us about kindness and tolerance and loving people who think differently than you. And it's really kind of a countercultural thing when you think about it, because so many people, if they don't agree with somebody politically or with how they school their kids or, you know, you name it, fill in the blank, they treat them kind of in a snarky way. Maybe they're, uh, um, I'm just trying to think, not so much sarcastic, but kind of like caustically sarcastic at them. If they don't really want to like have an honest conversation, they'll just make these little offhand comments, whatever. We just see it so much, especially on social media. And then that leads to division. And there just are these lines drawn, you know, you're in this camp. Well, then I don't have anything to do with you because I'm in this, this other camp. And our kids are watching us. And I think we need to be really careful when it comes to this whole subject to one thing I've, I've seen contribute to it is making declarations of never. And I'll just give you a brief example. I have two friends that I've had for 20 years, ever since we first were having our kids. And one of them said, I will never, ever put my kids in public schools. She had eight children, homeschooling them all. Never going to do it. She really didn't have very many friends that had their kids in public schools. I had another friend whose children were in public school who said, I will never, ever homeschool my kids. Well, fast forward, sadly, maybe it was probably about 10 years after this, my first friend who said she would never put her kids in public schools, she came down with both breast cancer and MS and was just debilitated physically and ended up passing away. But for the last couple of years before she passed away, she had to put her three younger kids in public school. She could not homeschool them anymore. Some of them were old enough to do their classes online. And I remember how hard it was for her to like swallow and put her kids in public school. And I remember calling her going, it's okay if your kids are in public school, you know, it's all right. She had set up this image like public schools, evil and homeschooling is the only way. And my friend that was the opposite, her child had a special need the school was not helping with. The local school she transferred into was not helping with. She decided to pull him out and do it herself and, and tend to his special need. And I remember her like swallowing her and going, I can't believe I'm homeschooled. I said, it's okay. You know, you're doing what's best for your child. So I think when we eliminate the word never from our vocabulary, it helps us to build those, those fences. When we remember that our kids are watching us and that we're going to, we need all kinds of people in our life. 
And also to remember, and I've seen this a lot with some of my friends whose kids are now grown, your child may choose differently. And so if you're setting up this image in your home to your children that, you know, it, it is only right to be a full-time mom, you should never work outside the home. And your daughter grows up and she has baby and she's working outside the home part-time or full-time, I mean, that's going to make her feel like you think she's less than because she heard you say it all those years. So yes, I'm not saying you shouldn't have your opinion. I'm not saying that there are things that you think are best for your child, but kind of hold those, those opinions close to your heart and love people that have different opinions because we all need each other. Yes. Oh, it definitely takes a village. I learned that pretty early on uh, about how many other moms I needed to survive motherhood. You know, you you need other moms. You need that village. You need that camaraderie. You need, you know, people to lean on. So, you know, if if you break that bridge, then I think it only hurts you, right? It only hurts you and the other mom that, you know, that you're, that you're um, estranged with. So um, I'm all for finding common ground and finding a way. And there's sometimes it really doesn't work and that's fine. You move on and, you know, you create a different village and, and, but, but if you can find a way to create that peace between you and another mom, you're both just trying the best you can, you know, and you're both, you both have your own, um, uh, histories with your own family and their their values and what you were raised with and you know the different things that were um, important in your home right whether you know to go to college or not go to college and get a job you know whatever was important you know the values come with you so um, like I said we I feel like just as as much as we can support each other we don't have to agree with each other all the time but just to support each other like you said so. Mm-hmm. I know we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you something that I feel I, I preach about all the time um, on, on my podcast here and my blog and whatnot is pressing the pause button. Um, taking your schedule from racing to rest <laughs> is something you talk about in your book. Tell me why is rest so important and why should we rest? And also, why is it so hard for moms to rest? Me included. So I'd love to hear mm-hmm. your advice on that. I'll answer the last one first. It's so hard for moms to rest because we think everything depends on us, which is actually another myth of the book that that we think everything depends on us. And if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. And that's just not true. You know, sad to say, if suddenly you passed away, the world would go on. Somehow things would get done in your circle of friends, in your, you know, homeschool life in the PTA, whatever it is, you know, with your kids, somebody would step up and and take over what you're doing. So don't think that you're indispensable and that everything depends on you. Um, That keeps us from resting. And two, I think we have a wrong view of rest. We think rest just means being lazy and ceasing. And if we're a high energy, high capacity kind of person, we don't think it's necessary. But rest is more than just stopping what you're doing. Rest is refueling. It's very important for us to refuel, to hit the reset button, to stop spinning our wheels, stop letting things spin in our minds and just chill. And we just don't do it. You know, even though we know we're supposed to, we see a pattern in scripture, God rested a whole day, you know, and and he tells us to. So what I have tried to make as my goal, maybe this will help some of your listeners, is I try to rest in three ways. I try to do it daily. One time I listened to a podcast. I wish I could remember what podcast it was because I could give them credit, but I can't. But it was somebody that was talking about our brain health. And they said that our brains really need to do 17 minutes a day of nothing 
to reset ourselves. And so I try very hard. It's taken me a long time. I've been doing this now for about four years. I try, if it's a nice time of year, I'll take my lawn chair out to the back of our property where we have a fire pit and some woods and there's squirrels running around and birds are chirping and I will sit in the chair. I won't take my phone and I will try for, I have a watch. So I will try for 17 minutes to not just do nothing, but to think about nothing and just to observe what's going around. I just watch nature. I look up at the leaves. I look at the clouds. I look at the, the uh, sky and you know, if something pops in my mind that I need to get off my mind, I might quick pray about it, but I don't sit and strategize. I don't think about what's for supper. I don't, you know, think about my grocery list. I try to just do nothing because we rarely do that. Now, my husband does this all the time. He'll be sitting on the couch and I'll say, you know, uh, what do you think about? And he'll say nothing. And I'm like, ah, I wish I could do that. Um, so once a day, try to do nothing for 17 minutes. And then I try to take one day a week to rest for us now in our life, it is Sunday. There's been times when it couldn't be Sunday. My husband used to be a pastor. Sundays weren't very restful. I did it a different day of the week. So I try to take one day a week to just really cease from producing any content for like writing and speaking, to try not to do housework, but just, just to rest from all of that. And then extended, I think like I try about once a month. It might be only once every six weeks, but to take something that's a little bit more of an extended getaway where it's not just that I'm, you know, I'm at home and trying not to do something, but I'll go away. I'll either go just to like a coffee house for, for the whole day and just rest and relax and, you know, write my journal or read a book I want or go walk in a park or go to a museum, just something where I'm not producing, where I'm not working. And it's going to look different for everybody. Some people don't work with their brains. I work with my brains. Some people work with their hands, but whatever you can do to, to step back from your work, for 17 minutes a day, for one day a week, and maybe one day a month, it really, when we pre-plan and we tell ourselves we're going to do it and we keep the appointment, it can really help. It feels weird to people that are are high capacity, like to produce kind of people, but it is very crucial because otherwise you're going to burn out. Yeah. And, and that, like I said, it's a whole nother topic that we could probably spend so long talking about. Um, so I hope everyone right now is getting their phones out. You've inspired me to set, set an alarm on their phone for 17 minutes. Um, set, we'll send an alarm to remind you to take that 17 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So first set an alarm, you know, for, for that daily um, and or weekly, whatever you can fit in, um, you know, for your 17 minutes. And then, you know, to set it on your phone. Because sometimes if we think about it too much, then if 17 minutes feels like 10 hours. Um, yeah. and, but if we don't think about it, it could feel like 30 seconds. So just set it and then put your phone to the side. Like you said, don't have your phone with you at all, except for maybe an alarm. And then be present, be intentional, be mindful of what's going on around you. Like you said, just taking in the, the what you smell, what you see, what you hear, you know, all of your senses and, and really um, you know, take that time for yourself. We have about two minutes left. I have a really quick question. And hopefully, if you want to give a really brief answer, we can fit it in. Um, but another concept you talk about in your book that I think is so important for moms is the idea of perfectionism versus good enough. Um, if you would just briefly just kind of hit on that, because uh, I know you could probably go in depth and give such a wonderful answer. But what is just a quick tip that you could give moms, you know, on feeling like, you know, what I don't have to be perfect being good enough is good enough in the eyes of the Lord. So what would, what would be just, a, you know, some quick advice you could give to, to other moms out there about that concept? Just to realize we have limitations, we have capacity, so we can't do everything, do it all at once. We can't do it like someone else does. Um, but I still know that a lot of times we want to hit these marks. So I always tried to say, what are my top three things? What are my top three things I want to do as a mom? And if that's all I'm getting done, 
that's all I'm getting done. And for me, it was spending time with my kids to teach them life lessons, um, hard things, scriptural things, whatever, really instilling in them, teaching them about life. Second was to model hospitality. We constantly had people over. I wanted my kids to grow up with an outreach mindset. And then my third goal, and this was my favorite one, and it worked, is to work myself out of a job. So, you know, by the time my kids were 12, they did their own laundry. I, you know, think we need to learn to work ourselves out of the job to teach our kids those things that we do for them when they're little, they need to start doing for them themselves. Because if they can run a, a gaming controller, they can run a washing machine. <laughs> right. That is very true. And, you know, I think is there's that concept of coming to some sort of an acceptance. That's something I had to work on is accepting that I don't have to do it all. And it's okay that if something's on my, like you said, I prioritize my to-do list each day and whatever I don't get done, I can take a deep breath and save it for tomorrow because it'll still be waiting there. And it's, it's okay. My life will go on. Everyone's alive and healthy and they're going to survive if, you know, I didn't get that one blog post written or whatever it is, even though it irks me inside that I didn't get it done, I couldn't mark it off my list, but it's okay. And you just coming to that acceptance. So Karen, thank you so much for all of your time today. I, like I said, I thoroughly have just enjoyed your, um, your books, your advice. Um, where can people find you um, to connect with you or to get more information from you or even to buy your books and so forth? The easiest one stop <laughs> is at my website, KarenEman.com, and Eman is spelled E-H-M-A, the N. There they can buy my books. They can see where I'm hanging out on social media. And I also have a lot of freebies under the freebie tab, different PDFs and downloads and five-day challenges and things for them that are completely free. Wonderful. I'm gonna, I didn't know that. I'm going to go get some of those too. So thank you for sharing about that. All right. Well, thank you again, Karen, for all of your time. And um, I just appreciate, you know, just all of, all of your wisdom that you shared with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first. Then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911. Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com.